Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, and I want to offer a special welcome to anyone who is joining us for the first time. Uh, maybe you're a new face. Maybe it's someone we met, but you're visiting with us this morning. Maybe you're tuning in online with us for the first time uh, this morning as well. We're just very happy to have you worshiping with us this uh, Sunday morning. And um, today I want to talk a little bit about 2020. <laughs> 2020 has been a crazy year, right? I mean, I think we are all aware that this, is, this has been uh, kind of a crazy year. And I think one of the, one of the ways uh, that we as a society now tend to deal with um, hard things or crazy things or ridiculous things is to put them into memes. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun to start off uh, today by going through some really fun memes that have popped up that I've seen. So this is, you know, this I think is supposed to sum up 2020 in one, in one meme, right? This is Billy Mays, I think is his name. He's one of those uh, uh, infomercial guys and every second of 2020, but wait, there's more. It just seems like things keep piling on uh, over and over again. I thought that was good. But some of my favorite memes that I've seen are these My Plans 2020 memes. Have you guys seen these? It kind of takes a picture that's supposed to encapsulate what you thought 2020 would be and then a picture with what it actually was. So I want to show you some of my favorite ones uh, that I've seen that go through this. Okay, so the first one here uh, from the office, I think most people probably get this one. <laughs> my plans, having a nice chili, and, and really then it just gets spilled everywhere and messes up everything. Okay, here we go, another one. I, thought, I, saw, I saw some funny... Uh, speculation that at Biden's acceptance speech, Kanye was going to run up and, and try to take the presidency from him, maybe, since, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll have to see, I guess. Um, all right, this one, this is a, this is a little, more, little more niche one, but uh, for people who are big Star Wars fans, you get this one uh, in particular. Okay, this one is for, for baseball fans, so this one might go over some of your heads, but this was one of my favorites. Okay, if you don't get this one, you should go to YouTube and just search Randy Johnson and Bird, okay? You really need to, you really need to look up this video, okay? It's, it's really hilarious, um, but I, you'll have to go do that on your own. And then you'll get this one. It'll be really funny. Okay, this one was actually one of my favorites that I saw. And you can kind of tell, um, you know, someone's age based off of whether or not they get this one. But I really, I really thought this one was pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, th this, this last one, or the, sorry, second to last one here, pretty, pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how many of you saw the movie Cats. I was actually going to see Cats. Uh, with some friends, he, a friend of mine really, really wanted to watch this and get it, some people together, and so he planned a party, and then COVID hit, and we couldn't do it, so maybe you could say 2020 saved me from having to watch the movie Cats, um, but uh, it sounds pretty awful. Okay, last one here, and this is the most 2020 of all of, of, all of these. <laughs> a little Tiger King reference for those of you um, who, who watched that earlier on this year. So, okay, but, but seriously, 2020 has been a rough year. I think many of us 
It's not, I don't have to go through and explain why 2020 has just been a really tough year for a lot of people, right? People's lives have been thrown into a blender, I think you could say, through this, you know, one in a hundred year pandemic, through, you know, just kind of mismanaging and, and not being prepared for it, for kind of the way it impacted just our, 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 our normal lives, whether it was jobs, um, you know, changing the nature of our work, some of us losing jobs, economically having issues, businesses getting shut down, um, and how we had to stay home and, and for those of us who had kids I know 2020 and the the pandemic has been a real uh, specific challenge and then uh, in May obviously we had the George Floyd uh, killing and everything that kind of followed that and just um, all of these you know protests some of them were peaceful some of them not so much um, we've had famous people die we've just had and on top of all that, we had one of the most contentious elections maybe in American history on, on all of that. Okay, so it, it's been a tough year. I think we can all acknowledge that. But I want to talk a little bit today about why 2020 was a tough year, and, and more specifically how I think we as Christians, um, we don't do ourselves any favors when we kind of just root all of the problems in the world to just one specific year. When we kind of overemphasize the bad of 2020 as if, um, as if th th this was an unprecedented year. Because I actually think 2020 is an unprecedented year for you, but it's not an unprecedented year for our world, right? If actually, if anything, 2020 is maybe kind of a, kind of a normal year. Um, I think when we, when we overemphasize the effects of 2020, we start to think of like 2021 maybe as like salvation, just getting out of this year, everything will be perfect again. And we kind of actually look back at the past. We, you know, we kind of think maybe 2019 was this magical place that we all lived. But I think the, the funny part about those My Plans 2020 memes is it's kind of showing like the fact that you looked with so much excitement towards 2020 probably means 2019 wasn't any sort of special year either, right? There's a, maybe a reason you went into 2020 thinking it was going to be such a great year and you felt so um, bad when it, when it wasn't. And so when we really start to kind of dig down deep, we start to realize, like, no year is, is perfect. And um, I think it kind of skews our view of what Christians call the curse. Um, so the curse, if this is not a word you've heard before, is a description um, to describe the state of the world that we live in. We, the world is kind of cursed because of sin. And it goes back all the way to Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and the fall that it gets called sometimes and this curse that sort of impacts the whole rest of the world. And actually, I was reading a book recently uh, by a guy named Francis Spooford and, and he described the curse in, in some language I'd never heard before but I really, really liked. And he called the curse, the fact that the world isn't what it's supposed to be, and we can we can sense that we we know that that's true. He calls it the crack in everything. He kind of describes it as if the the everything about the world has a crack in it, and we can tell that it's not what it's supposed to be. It it has this crack that kind of runs through it, and so matter as good as it can get, we can't get around the fact that it's cracked. Now, I think as Christians, maybe me talking about this, if you've been going to church for a long time, um, you you you. You're like, yeah, we know about the curse, we know about the fall, we all believe this. But I want to challenge you all to ask yourselves, is that is it something you actually believe and you like live out in your everyday life? Um, I think we live in... We live in a very decadent society. I think you can make the claim that we maybe live in the best society in the history of the world. Just looking at different things like... Um, the entertainment that we, we have access to, the, the, the amount of food, like, you know, very few people go hungry, the, the connection we have with everyone. Um, having the world's knowledge at our fingertips 
to, you know, available to us in a, in a moment's notice is something that is not a normal thing for the world. Um, our, our ancestors would have looked at our time, looked at our society, and they would have said it was far better than their own and anything that they had experienced or heard about before them. We, we live in a world where if you have a health problem, the, the normal assumption is that you can get it fixed and it will no longer be an issue for you. We, we don't have a real fear a lot of times of, of most health problems. We, we think a doctor is going to have some way uh, to fix it for us. We, we, we truly have a view, and we've been told this since we are kids, that anything we want, anything we want in the world can be achieved if we just kind of set ourselves to it and work hard. Nothing can stop us if we actually just go out and work, work hard. Or at least some of us have heard that growing up. It's kind of a privileged thing to have heard that, right? Um, and maybe not everyone in America had that view growing up, but still many of us did have that view as we were growing up. And, and we, we kind of have this very infinitely positive view of ourselves. And we think if there is something that's maybe messed up with us, like we can probably get that problem fixed just by going to some therapy, right? Anything that's wrong with us can just be, can be fixed by meeting with a therapist or something, right? And so because of all of this, because of kind of what we've grown up in, I think we as Americans have developed this sort of comfort idol, this sort of expectation of unending ease and opportunity, that the, everything always has a, a happy ending for us. We kind of expect that, I think, right? Or, or maybe if we don't, you know, logically expect it, I think deep down emotionally, we believe everything is always going to be going to be okay in the end. And so I think a lot of us, we really live with sort of no sense of real danger, right? And so when things like, when things like a pandemic come on us, Right, like what, something that may, you know, uh, for, for a second, we may actually have to wonder if we're going to make it out of this year alive if we get this disease because it's unknown and we, you know, a doctor maybe can't just fix this thing. Or maybe when, when we're experiencing things like rioting in our city, like people feel really, really, really uncomfortable with that stuff because their lives are actually in danger in a way that they're not used to. And so we, we sort of get, get thrown off, get thrown out of kilter. We start to think that this is the worst it could ever be, what we're living through right now, right? And, and really it's because we just have no real sense of danger. We have no real, even those of us who are Christians, I think, we have no real expectation that we could fall into the crack in everything, that this is a crack that actually could really mess things up for us. And so with, with a year like 2020, we expect that just putting all that trouble into one year and just having the year and getting to 2021 will kind of fix everything. It will be a return to normal, right? We, we think that this is abnormal and everything will go back to being the way it was, kind of perfect and, and ease and, and comfort and without any danger. But what if 2020 is actually the way that the world just actually is? What if, what if what we've experienced now in 2020 is actually more the normal state of that world and how it's been because of the curse or the crack and everything? What if 2020 has sort of brought the brokenness of the world to our eyes in a more sharply viewable way than normal? And, 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 and instead of viewing it as, like a, as something to avoid, we, we maybe view it as a necessary disruption, a reminder of the way that the world actually is. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie The Matrix. I think for a long time that was a movie like everyone had watched, but I think we're getting to a point where that's l less of a movie that everyone has seen. But, um, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you have, you have this guy, Thomas Anderson, and he's kind of, I don't remember what his job is. He just is working some kind of 
some normal job. He's a very normal guy. But he finds out that he's living in like in a simulation, that the world is actually not at all what he thought it was. And he gets the offer of this red pill or this blue pill, and I don't remember which is which, but one of them is going to return him to his normal life, kind of th- this, this world where, you know, it actually isn't how it is, but he can kind of re- return to this sort of ignorance that he was living in. Or he can take the other pill, which is going to allow him to kind of wake up and see the world as it actually is. I think 2020 is not just like a bad year among a bunch of good ones, but it's sort of a wake-up call for us um, to, to kind of remind us of, of the fact that the world is, you know, there is a crack in everything. I think it's a good reminder for us as Christians to, rem- to remember that, to reflect on it, and then to engage in, in a way that the Bible calls us to with, with that fact. Because the Bible talks a lot about this sort of crack in everything, and people respond to it. The people in the Bible are not living with this sense of, like, ease and comfort that we find ourselves living in often. Uh, they are living with a sense that the world is not as it's supposed to be, and they're crying out to God, they're responding in the midst of that. And I think we need to kind of look to them to figure out how do we respond with this reminder of the way that the world actually is that we're getting in 2020. And so what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks here is we're going to be talking through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's, it's a book in the Old Testament. It's just three chapters long. It's really short. It's going to be kind of four uh, sermons long. And we're going to be talking about what it looks like to find God when everything is falling apart. That's our tagline for the series. Finding God when things fall apart. So, so today I'm going to talk about the first four verses of the book, kind of set it up for us a little bit, figure out what is going on uh, here. Uh, and, and next week, so the book starts out with the prophet Habakkuk. He cries out to God about what's going on in the world. And, and next week, in next week's sermon, Julie's going to talk about God's response, his answer to Habakkuk. Um, and then in the third sermon, uh, Habakkuk and God are going to have a little discussion about what God's response was. Habakkuk's going to get a chance to kind of give his opinion of what God's response is. Um, and then finally, Habakkuk has like a prayer or a declaration at the very end, a kind of summation of what it looks like to live in light of, of what's going on for him that I think we can learn as we live maybe through some similar uh, sort of um, crazy world events that Habakkuk's living through. Now this week, like I said, I want to talk about sort of the, the, the effects of the crack in everything in the world uh, and, and Habakkuk crying out to God in the midst of that. Now a little bit of, a little bit of background on the book of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk is, is a prophet, like I said, but he's not one we know a whole lot about. It's, like I said, it's a short book. It's the only time I think in the Old Testament that he's mentioned, um, whereas some of these other prophets, we know a lot about their lives. We know a lot about the situation that they're in. All we really know about Habakkuk is that he is a prophet who has a message that he wrote down to be delivered to the people of God. Now in this time you have lots of prophets and some of them are good, some of them are actually bad prophets. They're not actually speaking for God. They're trying to say that they're speaking for God. They're kind of selling false messages, a lot of t- oftentimes false hopes saying you can just continue on and all this crazy bad stuff that you're doing um, and everything will be fine. Um, some of the prophets were famous, kind of known throughout all of Israel. Some of them are more local. Some of them have a, not as big of an Instagram uh, following maybe as the other ones. Okay? But we do know something about the time that Habakkuk is living in. So Israel, at the time that Habakkuk is writing, had kind of, it, had kind of, it, was, it was in the middle of a tough stretch. But before that, things had been really good in Israel. It had, it had peaked under King David um, and... Um, and under King Solomon, his son. And uh, it was this known throughout the world 
uh, many, many countries would come to Israel to kind of understand what made them so great. And, and, and their, their, their kingdom had stretched out to kind of its furthest uh, parts uh, that it would ever reach. And, and the temple had been built, this glorious structure as a, as, a, as a symbol of the God who had made Israel great was finally built under Solomon to kind of show once and for all, here's who our God is, here's how, how much glory he is filled with, and here's why he is worth uh, worshiping. Uh, in a sense, you could say it's a little bit like America. Things were really good for the people of Israel. It was the highest point that they would ever be as a, as a nation. But things start to go downhill from there. Israel starts to take for granted what had got them there, this unique relationship of worship of God through the covenant that he had given to them through people like Moses and Abraham. They had started to... Uh, look for security in other nations, forming political alliances and thinking that their health and their security and their flourishing would come through those instead of dependence upon the God who had made them that in the first place. They had looked to the military might of these other nations to sort of keep them safe and they had started to look to the other gods of these nations. They had started to mix in the worship of these other gods into the normal life of worship for the people of Israel as well. Despite the fact that God had always said in his covenant, in the thing that he had given them that had brought them to this great place, the moment you start to do that, things are going to start to go south. Things are not going to be what they're supposed to be if you guys start to do this. And that's exactly what Israel had started to do. And so because of this, Israel as a nation is starting to suffer. Now some theologians like to say, you become like the thing you worship. Worship is not just this sort of neutral activity we do that we, you know, we get together on a Sunday morning and we, we sing a song and, and you know, that's, that's, you know, that is worship, but it's not worship in kind of its fullness and its depth. And it's not just, you might think of that as sort of a, sort of a neutral activity that you do, um, but really worship it does something to us when we really truly worship something. And the gods of other nations, just like the gods that we might worship today other than, other than Jesus, they don't value human flourishing and they pull us away from the worship of God. And so what happens is, is Israel worships these sort of cruel gods of the other nations. What happened is, is, is the worship of those gods led them to embracing injustice, embracing violence, embracing practices that actually started to have a harmful effect on the rest of the people in the nation of Israel. And I think that that's true. Societal issues of things like injustice, of exploitation, of unfairness, of inequality, those ultimately at root, they have practical responses, but ultimately at root, they're worship issues. That they're choosing to worship things other than God, that have fruit that grows, that, that actually has real harm to the people who are living in that society. And the prophets are, are, are speaking out about this stuff. If you read through the time of the prophets, who are all kind of writing at a similar time in Israel's history, in those prophetic books of the Old Testament, they're all kind of speaking out against a lot of this stuff. And, and so, like, for example, when we, uh, the, the Sunday after the George Floyd killing happened in our city, we went through a the book of Amos, and we kind of talked about uh, Amos's cry against injustice in his own time because of worship of other things. Right? So, so this is kind of what the prophets are, are doing. But the prophets also do things like ask God, hey, what gives? Like, you know, why aren't you doing something about all of this? And that's what Habakkuk starts off in this book here in chapter 1, asking God. So let's jump into it. Verse 1 here, the prophecy or the masa that Habakkuk the prophet received. 
Now, the reason I, I highlighted what that actual word there, prophecy, is, is because it has a couple of meanings. It can mean prophecy, it can mean sort of message, but also it can be translated as like a sort of heavy burden or a load. You can find that Hebrew word in other places in the Old Testament referring to like a load, that, like a heavy load that you would put on a donkey instead of carrying yourself. Something that is too heavy to bear. And so what Habakkuk is telling us, this is kind of the, the introduction to the, to the book of Habakkuk as a whole. What he's saying is that what he's about to tell us, it is a, it's a burden. It might not be sort of the happy, you know, sk- you know skipping over to, to sort of endless positivity that we'll talk about that in a little bit that, that we often crave. All right, that, that's not what this message is. Okay, so let's get into it. It's, it's, it's a hard message, but I think it's one that we need to engage with well as Christians if we are going to engage well with the things that Habakkuk is about to talk about right here. And, and these are the things that he is talking about. He cries out to God, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Basically, the, the question that God is, or Habakkuk is asking God here is, why is everything so cracked here? Even these people that you chose to worship you, specifically that you gave your law to, that you entered into covenant with you, even they have no integrity. Even they cannot live this out perfectly. And sort of most importantly here, what are you doing about all this stuff, God? Why, why, aren't you, why, why is this continued to happen? Now, maybe as you read this, you think, boy, this could have been written today, right? Like, like some people really feel the sense of, of a lack of justice in our society. Some people, you know, seem as if they're just above the law, like the, the, the law is paralyzed. Justice does not prevail as we think it should. Division and strife, conflict abounds, right? Does that not sound like it could have been written today, right? Like we just have, we have people who cannot find common ground on anything. It does not matter what it is. They refuse to find common ground with each other. They, they, it seems like they would prefer the division and the strife. They prefer that conflict would abound. And we, we find ourselves asking uh, God, when will things stop being this way? When will things maybe return to normal? Maybe that's the way that we put it. As if there ever, ever was a, a, a normal uh, in the world. Now, what we're going to do, like I said, is we're going to walk through uh, God's response to Habakkuk over the course of the sermon. So I'm not going to jump the gun here. I'm not going to tell you what God says to Habakkuk's cry. But I think we can learn some good stuff as we sort of talk about what it looks like in, in, a, in a deep way to respond to the way that the world is um, through Habakkuk's response here. We can get a sense for how he views it and how we can sort of follow him as we similarly maybe cry out to God in the ways that he does. And the first the first point of application I have for us today is we should not resort to easy responses. Now, like I said, Habakkuk is not a book with easy answers or, or easy responses to these questions. That's not what Habakkuk gets. He gets something else from God. Um, and, and, and that's why Habakkuk describes this book or what he's about to tell us as maybe as a bit of a burden or a heavy load. Okay? But um, we, 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 because answers to these problems in the world are not always easy, because we don't like that, we, we tend to sort of substitute our own answers. And, and a lot of times those end up being really easy answers. Things that do not deal with the problem of the crack and everything in the way that it needs to be dealt with. 
So the first one, I want to talk about two of these today, but the first one is just, we, we kind of locate in one thing as if this is the real problem in the world, right? We find an easy thing to sort of hang the problem on, and so that allows us to sort of, you know, whatever thing is giving us the most stress right now, whatever just seems easiest, we put the blame on that, and then we sort of set ourselves out to fix that problem. And we think if we can just solve this problem, everything's going to go back to being perfect again, Right? We kind of create these almost little like salvation stories, right? Where the curse is just whatever's giving me stress right now, whatever thing is keeping me from sleeping right now or keeping me from enjoying my coffee this morning. And, and salvation is sort of solving this maybe attainable issue, whatever that looks like. And then everything will go back to being perfect again. Right? We, so we create these little salvation stories with little little curses or little cracks in our in our little individual world, and we try to solve those things instead. Now, what, what this is, is it's whack-a-mole, right? It, it, it's like, you know the game whack-a-mole? Like where, you know, you have the mole popping up out of different holes, and, you know, you hardly ever actually hit the mole, but every once in a while you actually smack it on the head pretty good, right? But then it just pops up out of, out of another hole. That's kind of the whole point of the game, right? You're trying to hit as many of them as you can. You never can hit them all, right? Now, if you really want to win the game of whack-a-mole, like, the answer is, like, flushing, you know, sticking a hose down one of those holes and flushing all the moles out of there and filling it in with dirt so you can't get any more moles in there, right? You've got to go to the, to the root of the problem. You've got to go, you know, you've got to solve the problem of the fact you have all these tunnels with moles running around inside of them, right? Obviously, I'm, you know, that's not how the game actually works, but you get my point, right? The, the idea of whack-a-mole, the problem is not solved just by smacking one of those moles on the head. You've got to make sure that no moles are coming back. You've got to fill in, fill in that network of holes. And that's what the gospel is. That's what, the, that's what God's response to the crack and everything is, is to, is to deal with all of sin and death and the curse and their effects at the root. And that's why we have to go back to the cross constantly, and that's why when we do talk about specific problems of the crack and everything, whether it's in us, whether it's in the world, when how we respond to it as Christians, we've been trying to do that a lot, especially over this election season uh, at, at Rest City. There's a reason that whenever we are starting to ask the question of how we respond as Christians to that stuff, we always go back to the cross because that is God's ultimate answer to any little mole that sticks his head out is to go to the root of the problem. So we always as Christians, have to start there and work from there to ask the question how we solve the specific problem. Specific and unique, you know, problems have specific and unique answers, but none that don't start, for us as Christians at least, at the cross itself. Now, a second response that we give a lot of times to the crack and everything is this sort of just be positive. Maybe say things like, you know, it could be worse. Like, we, we kind of, we look at ways in which things could be worse than they actually are. And this sort of positivity mindset that we, we like to give ourselves where we just think positive thinking is going to allow you to plow through anything in your way. If you just have a positive view of yourself and the situation, you'll eventually conquer it. Uh, there's act, this is actually, you know, it's not just me or, or Christians or, you know, who, who are talking about how this is not a helpful way to respond to things. There's actually a view within, uh, within the, the um, psychiatric world, the therapeutic world, that, that calls this toxic positivity. A sort of, you know, uh, it, it means, you know, we'll just focus on only the positive things and anything that might trigger any negative emotions in us, we're not, we're just going to pretend they don't exist. All right? And so these negative emotions, grief and anger, which are supposed to alert us that things aren't right. That's not a bad thing. When, when you feel things that tell you the world is not right or something is wrong, it's not a bad thing to feel those things. That's actually a good thing because it tells you something is wrong. But when we ignore them, 
that's not a helpful thing. It'd be like, you know, if you had pain in your foot or pain in your chest or something, right? The pain is alerting you to the fact that there's a problem there. And if you ignore it, like, that could be really bad down the road, right? That's a warning sign that there's a problem. Same with our emotions. We shouldn't just ignore them uh, when, when, and, and put, put, say that they're, they're not, they're, there's nothing there. Pretending that we just need to be positive and we can make all the bad stuff go away. And especially when we do this, we don't really give weight to the, to the negative thing that we're feeling, to the, the bad thing. So, so Kate Bowler, she is a uh, professor of Christian history at Duke Divinity School, and she says, she had a couple tweets I want to read today, but um, th- this one w- was really good, I thought, on this point. She says, fear is real. Our therapeutic age has made bad feelings, which we now pathologize as anxiety, into our mortal enemy on the journey to enlightenment. But any good therapist or pastor will know that fear is part of knowing what is. And what is, is sometimes What's the word? Awful. (laughs) It's not a bad thing for us to look at the world or look at things that are happening to us or other people and to just say, man, that's horrible. Like that is an acceptable response to the crack and everything. We can't replace the, the biblical response of what I want to talk about now of lament to those things with the modern idea of, of positivity. And so that's what our next point of application here, and I think Habakkuk is doing this, uh, in, this in, in the beginning of his book here, is he's doing something called lament. And this is a right response, I think, to the crack and everything. It's a right response to, to things like 2020, to, to years like 2020, when, when things just continue, to, you know, we, we feel like, but wait, there's more. When we, when we feel that sort of weight, lament is the right response, I think, as, as Christians, the right first response for us. Now, what is, what is lament? Sung Chan Ra, he's a professor and a pastor. Uh, I believe he's out in California. He says that lament is the disruption that challenges us to move out of the status quo. It's us pausing to acknowledge, to grieve, and even to rage against the crack and everything by giving it the weight it deserves, by acknowledging that this thing is, is evil, it's bad, it's horrible, it's not how it's supposed to be. And we're just going to sit in that for a little bit. It's okay for us to do that. Now, lament is all over the Bible. You might, you might find this hard to believe. But it's actually a very normal thing. So, so take the book of Psalms, for example. There are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms. And um, the Psalms, if, if you don't know what, what those were intended to be, were supposed to kind of be like the hymn book of the people of Israel, sort of the, 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 the worship manual for how people are supposed to worship their God, Yahweh. Now, 60% of the um, Psalms in, in the book of Psalms are praise Psalms. They're happy Psalms. They're responding in, in praise to good things that have happened that God has done and giving him the glory and honor for that. And that's good. We should do that. When, when, when we find ourselves uh, enjoying something or celebrating something, we should respond in praise and give the glory to God for that. But the other 40% of these psalms are lament songs, psalms. They are, they are psalms that are acknowledging that things suck right now, God. Things are, are this, is, this can't be how it's supposed to be, right, God? Like, w- why is everything so messed up? That, that's, that's 40% of the Psalms. Now, Sung, Sung Chan Ra, the guy I just quoted, he did a little study on how we as Christians today uh, order our modern sort of hymn books. 
And, and so he, he checked, I mean, he, he actually looked through several different traditions, liturgical, like uh, uh, Catholic and, and Lutheran, and he found that a lot of times they just skip over the, the hard psalms or the hard texts, the lament ones in scripture, and go to happy, positive ones. In hymn books, he looked at hymn books, if that's kind of the tradition you're in, and he found, I think, like 85% of the, of the hymns in that book were praise ones, and only 15% were um, were lament ones, and that's just, I mean, you don't even have to do all the songs in there. You, you get to pick which ones are in there, but even if you were looking for a good lament one, you'd have a hard time finding any in, inside of these hymn books. And then he checked um, CCLI. So a uh, little, little bit of inside baseball here for you. Um, we can't just play any song we want at Res City on a Sunday morning, you know, like, because people own those songs. And so, like, we have to credit them, and there's a legal way to go through it. And so there's this thing we subscribe to called CCLI. That allows us to legally play the songs that we do on Sunday mornings, as long as they're part of that CCLI da- database. And, and what it does is it keeps tracks, it, it keeps track of all the songs that get played in all the churches that use CCLI, which is basically all churches that are using this program or this, this service. Um, it keeps track of the most played songs. And so you can actually look and see, like, what are the most popular songs and churches that are being played every year. And so Soong Chan Ra, he, he looked at the top 100 songs that had been used. I don't know what year this was. I saw this in a talk he was giving in 2018. So I, I imagine it was around that time. But he looked through these top 100 songs and he said that maybe, maybe five, maybe if he was being really generous, 10 of the songs in this top 100 were lament songs. Okay, so even we just don't, we just don't lament. We, 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 we want to praise. We want to do stuff that makes us feel sort of happy. It, we're, we're uncomfortable, even in church, sitting with sort of negativity, we call it. We kind of pin it as negative, and it allows us to kind of throw it off to the side and say we don't have to deal with it. Uh, we like the comfort of, of praise songs, I think, because it, it makes us feel better. It makes us think everything is, is happy. And, 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 and so we're always looking for something to distract us, to move on uh, towards, uh, to, to kind of to get our mind out of the thing that's bad. And so we're always looking for a distraction. And boy, do we have a lot of distractions in this society, right? It is the easiest society probably in the history of the world to be distracted if you want to, right? It, you know, Netflix has like endless endless distractions on it, right? And it is so easy to sit down on your couch and hit a button and to just be distracted. And there's always the new, you know, a new season of whatever show you just enjoyed that's always coming out. So you're always thinking ahead to the next thing. Something, there's always something to be excited about. Um, we, we have food, we have drink that we distract ourselves with, we, we have uh, the mood boost of maybe posting things on social media if we're feeling bad. Maybe we'll post something on social media, we'll get some likes, that'll make us feel a little bit better. Um, we can always find a good puppy video on, on right online that's going to make us feel better like there's always something to help make us feel better distract us from for, to keep us from lamenting and so we don't allow ourselves to sort of sit and just give weight to to the crack and everything whatever it's coming out as it's pain it's suffering it's evil it's injustice we don't we don't sit and weep with other people when they're feeling that we, we try to help them feel better we try to fix their problems we try to tell them or ourselves like you know things could be worse you know maybe you should just suck it up and and deal with this thing and, and like don't get me wrong i'm actually really bad at this ask julie how often i try to fix her problems like i right like but it, it, it's just a normal thing for us to do like we we, we get uncomfortable when someone comes comes to us and says, yeah, I feel like Julie has health problems, for those of you who don't know. And it, it can be uncomfortable for me when she tells me, like, I just feel really crappy today. And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. 
So you want to go watch, you know, some TV or, you know what, like maybe we could do this fun thing to distract us. Like, uh, you, I, I feel a discomfort sometimes because I don't know what to do because I don't know how to like just sit and lament with her. Like it's literally something I really struggle to understand how to do. And I don't think it's just me. I think it's all of us. I think we all sort of feel that. We always are looking for the blessings uh, for things. And, and listen, okay, don't hear me wrong. I think it's good for us to like to look for blessings, to be grateful for what God has given us, okay? So don't hear me saying, just go around, you know, throw a sackcloth on and walk around and just yell how bad everything is all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I think we, we should praise God when things are good. We should, we should have hope as Christians. We have the greatest hope as Christians in the world, we believe, right? With Christ and the cross and the resurrection, what God has done through him, the hope that's offered to us, we have hope. But we can't skip the step of lament. We can't skip the step of asking, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why did he have to rise again? We can't skip the step of dealing with that stuff before we get to the hope in service of this sort of comfort or positivity idol that we might have, right? Because while we think we're maybe getting the good thing, we're actually not really getting God a lot of times. And Kate Bowler, you know, continuing on that tweet thread that she had, I started earlier, she says that terrible times are the time when I have known God the best, God the comforter, God beyond platitudes, God the wonderfully angry evil. Turns out that God is a real treat. And I can tell you this from, from my experience and the experience of others, that in the moments where I've actually felt the most despair, and I'm not just talking like, you know, one morning when I woke up. Like, I'm talking like a whole year uh, of despair, of feeling just the effects of like things are not how they should be. I grew, I've grown in those times so much more than I have when everything was just happy and good and I was distracted, right? Those were much more meaningful in my development of who I am and my worship of God than any of the good times in my life. It's seeking God out when things are tough. Finding God actually as comforter because I needed comforting. Finding God in a depth beyond just the random Bible verse we might throw out to people, the platitudes that we can give. Going to God and finding out that he actually does care about evil in the world and that's part of what makes him so good. And in order to understand that, we actually have to understand that there is evil in the world that God gets angry about and wants to do something about. And in order for us to really understand or know God, we have to be still. I was reflecting on this verse this week, Psalm 46.10, and he says, Be still and know that I am God. But when we really dig into the, kind of the two words here, that the be still and know, you get a sense for what the psalmist is saying. Okay, so, so be still, the, the Hebrew word rafa means like go limp, like literally go slack, completely release, right? It's like, that, that's what it means. Like, like choosing not to put any effort into holding my arm up and letting it just fall to my side. That's what it means right there. Letting go completely. Letting yourself just feel perhaps, the evil or the weight of what's going on in the world, if you must, instead of sort of falling all over yourself to try to fix it or get out of the, the pain that you're feeling. Be still. And when we, when we are still, we can, we can truly know God. Now, the, the word there, yada, in Hebrew, it, it means more than just understand or read, you know, read something in a book, right? The, the word know there actually has a, has a sort of experiential understanding that actually like when Adam and Eve, when, 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 the, when the Hebrew author who's, who's writing that is talking about Adam and Eve getting together and making a kid, the word that, that the author uses to describe it says Adam and Eve knew each other. 
okay? So it's this deep experiential knowing of something that, that can even be described uh, in, in that sort of descriptive of way. That, that's what that word means. So, so not just knowing about God, not just knowing who he is, not just knowing a few Bible verses about him, but truly experiencing him and knowing him can only come when we're willing to be still. And when we're willing to do that, we can cry out to God because his mercy is great. And that's what Habakkuk is doing here as well. Habakkuk shows us that what the right response is for us when we feel maybe rage, despair, anger, when we feel the weight of the crack of everything around us, the right thing to do is to go to God. To go to him with our frustrations, our complaints, our venting, our tears, our fears, even our rage, even if, it's, even if we're angry at God, it is better to go to him with that than to go uh, somewhere else or to not deal with it at all. It is far better to go to him than to pretend that it doesn't exist. And if you're worried, like, what if, what if I'm so angry I say something to God, like, that's not very nice. Like, I would say it's better to do that and repent of it afterwards than it is to not talk to God at all. God wants, God is, listen, God's, he's a, he's a big God, I think he can handle, I think he can handle it. If you say something to him that you don't mean, that you take back later on, your your anger, your frustration at what's going on, if it boils over against him, I think he can handle it in love. Just like a good parent when their kid is, is yelling, I hate you, right? A good parent can handle that. They're not offended, right? I think God is the same way, you guys. He can take that when we go to him with that stuff because his mercy is great, And we know his mercy is great because when we really think about what's going on in the book of Habakkuk here, when Habakkuk is crying out to God and saying, how long, Lord, how long are we going to sit in this? When you think about it, perhaps Habakkuk is not the only one that's asking that question right now. Perhaps the reason that Habakkuk is crying out how long is because God has been crying out how long how long are you gonna how long are you gonna be chasing after other things other than me? How long are you gonna be relying on other nations to keep you all safe? How long are you gonna go to these other uh, idols and, and cry out to them or ask for them to help you be prosperous, to give you life? How long are you gonna reject me and go to these other things? How long are you gonna deal with the the the, the pain of the world? Um, by, by, by just pretending it doesn't exist? How long are you going to rely on this comfort of false savior, saviors to get you by? How long will you tolerate injustice and perpetrate it among yourselves? How long are you going to do that for? How, how long are you going to let your apathy drive you to look past the evil in the world and yourselves? How long are you going to pretend that the crack in everything doesn't exist? Is the whole world going to have to fall into that crack before you realize it? God has been asking the same question of, of Habakkuk and Israel that they're crying out to him for. And the fact that he is also asking that question clues us into the fact that his mercy and his grace and his patience for us, even as messed up as we can get, that is far greater than, than the power of the crack in everything. His, his, his mercy and his grace for us, they are wide and unending. Far more wide and unending, as deep as the crack in everything is. And we can hope in that in the midst of, of a world that is beset by sin and injustice and evil and, and pain and suffering, whatever else you can throw out there, whatever else you're feeling, whatever else you're noticing in the world, God's mercy and his grace is far greater and far more powerful. 
And, and it's only when we understand how bad things are in the world that we can understand how great that mercy and grace is for us. That allows us to not just have a sort of papered over thin hope of positivity, but a real hope in the God who transcends all of it. So today for, for our reflection question, I want you to ponder this. I'm going to pray and we're going to head into some time of communion and worship. But, but think about this. Okay, what is God calling me to do as 2020 shows me the crack in everything? Is God calling you to lament it? Is God calling you to cry, to cry out to him? Is, is God calling you to, to give up maybe easy responses or answers that you might be giving to what's going on in the world right now? What, what is it? What is God calling you to do in the midst of this right now? What, what is God calling you to do as, as, as you're clued into to the way that the world actually is, as we've experienced in, in this, this year of 2020? I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll head into communion. Lord, we, we thank you that um, the crack in everything is not something that you can't stitch back together again. And Lord, we thank you that we have hope in your son Jesus that that can, that, that we won't fall into it, Lord. So, so we can have both a, a clear understanding of how bad things can get in the world, Lord, as Christians. Because we understand the power of the crack and everything, the power of sin, Lord. But we don't have to despair to give into nihilism or cynicism in the midst of that either. We can have a true hope that you have transcended all of it. And we find our security and our peace and our ultimate comfort in you and in you alone, God. Help us to be people who who have that sort of well-reasoned and and deep hope, Lord, so that we may be a blessing to other people who are feeling the weight of the crack of everything in the world right now. I pray that you would seem attractive to those around us who are experiencing the the heaviness of everything that has happened in our world, Lord, in this last year, that, that you would be made great and attractive to those around us in, in, in us responding in the right way to it, God. Give us the power through your spirit to do this. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.